our Kingdom Families series, and we're talking about Jesus, marriage, and parenting. Next week on Father's Day, we venture into Ephesians chapter 6, and we begin the parenting aspect, and we'll spend two to three weeks in that to conclude our series. But for this morning, I want to talk to you working off of this title, The Seasons of a Christian Marriage. The Seasons of a Christian Marriage. There are a lot of things that we are privileged to enjoy in South Florida each and every day. Amen? Our skies are blue. The sun is almost always visible and warm. We've got amazing parks. We have beautiful beaches. And sure, we got 24 inches of rain in the last seven days, but that's not what I'm talking about. One thing that you and I don't get to experience very much in South Florida are seasons. We don't have seasons here, and if you are someone like me, born and raised in Miami, how many? How many? Yeah, yeah. You have no idea, those of you who didn't grow up like we did, you have no idea that we're just ignorant because we're blessed. We're so blessed that we don't know what it's like to have seasons like that. Seasons, however, are an important part of nature. And this is true to such an extent that in ancient times, life was lived with a sensitivity to seasons. Seasons were then an incredibly important part of life. Now, this is different from balance. Balance and seasons are not the same thing. While Eastern philosophies and religions like Taoism or Tai Chi emphasize an effort to establish a balance in all things, we don't read about balance in the Bible. In the Bible, we don't read about balance. We read about instead a philosophy of seasons. The idea that there is a time for everything under the sun. And that God, in its perfect time, makes those things perfect. Which means that there may be a time for this and not that or the other thing. There may be a time for you to work more and have less time with your family. Or a time when you're spending a lot more time with your family and you're working less. There are seasons and ebb and flow, if you will, that God has built by his providence and wisdom into our lives. We see it in nature, and I think it behooves us to see it in our lives and in our relationships. We burden ourselves unnecessarily. Are you listening? We burden ourselves unnecessarily when we obey the voice of culture rather than the voice of God's word. Stop listening to the voices outside of the Bible that tell you you have to have everything perfect and in perfect balance. There's no such thing. There is no such end. Instead, you and I need to listen to God's word. And when we do, we will find a clear path that God wants us to walk. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How much of your heart? All of it. And do not lean on your own understanding because you think you're smarter than you are. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
and he will make straight your path. To whom would that sound unattractive? The scriptures are promising us that if we don't lean on the wisdom of man or the wisdom of our own hearts and minds, if we lean instead on our acknowledgement, what word is within? Acknowledge? No. If we lean on our knowledge of God, by faith, he will make our life paths straight. Our thinking, church, isn't biblical, but learning God's word by faith helps us understand and possess biblical thinking. We don't possess biblical thinking outside of God's word. We have to absorb God's word, read God's word, meditate upon God's word, so that when life presents itself, the Holy Spirit uses God's word to convict and control and guide us into the parameters that God has for us. We might call them not our standards, but his standards. Not our way, but his way. And I think when we acknowledge God in this sense, I think when we acknowledge God's purpose and planning of all things, we realize that for God, for us, there is a time for everything under the sun, but not at the same time. Amen? Some of you need to hear me today when I say this. You're trying to make too many things perfect, and you're losing everything at once. You need to hear from the Lord what he wants you to work on today, in this season. Regardless of what other season you might have faced in the past or what you might anticipate in the future, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. The worries of today are sufficient. Some of us need to hear this word. God wants us to know with wisdom, with biblical wisdom, what season we are in so that we can best occupy that season. Today, I want to talk to you in particular about the four seasons of a Christian marriage. We're going to go one season at a time, and we're going to begin this morning with winter. We talk about the four seasons of a marriage. I want to begin first and foremost with winter because we're going to see in the seasons a sort of cyclical understanding because seasons do keep coming around, don't they? Well, not for us. If it rains, we're like, okay, that's our season. But when seasons occur, they just continue to occur. And We're going to begin with winter. So first of all, I want to talk to you about the winter of marriage. When the cold and gray weather becomes the atmosphere of the relationship you have with your husband or your wife, the climate of that relationship looks like distance, detachment, an unwillingness to compromise or to discuss a problem. If you are assessing what your marriage looks like and you read these words on the screen and you say, well, that kind of looks like my marriage, then you are probably in a winter season in your marriage. 
If it looks like that, what's it feel like? It feels like negativity. There's a lot of hurt in a marriage that's in its winter. There's anger. Interesting thing about anger is it longs to be heard. It's anxious to be heard. So when people respond in anger, usually the anger is the voice, but there's something underlying that's motivating the voice of anger. Loneliness. Now, when we read the scriptures, the scriptures tell us, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31, that a man shall leave his father and mother and cling, cleave to his wife or cling to his wife, and the two shall be not two, but one. In other words, it's not good for a man to be alone, but God created marriage to make a man and a woman whole. But when a winter has come to a marriage, even though they're in the same house, even though they're going through their daily and weekly routines together, there's loneliness. This gives you a picture of what a marriage in a winter season might look like, but more than that, I want to talk to you about what some of the markers might be. First of all, winter marriages are brittle. Winter marriages are brittle. There are times in counseling sessions, for example, when I sit down with a married couple, and sometimes I'll ask this question, is this an emergency? Because there's a difference between a marital a married couple that comes into the office for counseling and says, we need to work on some things. We're not doing so well here or there. We could use some advice or wisdom on this or that. But that is one thing. Another thing is when a married couple comes in and they are deep in a winter season and they're brittle. They're there, but they don't know why and they don't really care. And quite frankly, when a marriage is in a winter season and they come into my counseling office, they don't expect anything good to occur. They're there, but they're not expecting anything miraculous or good. Because in their mind, this winter is never going to lift. Their marriage is brittle. They're at the breaking point. They're weak and they're fragile. If they don't get sun and they don't get water soon, they're not going to make it through the season. It's not uncommon at times like these for a spouse who is tired of being lonely and cold to look for warmth elsewhere, outside of the marriage that's experienced a long winter. But not only is one marker, marker of this marriage the fact that it's brittle, but a second marker is this, winter marriages are reclusive. Winter marriages are also reclusive. Just like a cold breeze will cause us to cover up and become sort of closed off to everyone and everything around us, so a marriage that is in a winter season tends to make people reclusive. They're not as social as they used to be, and if they are social, they're not as open. They're not as forthcoming. You're not sure what's going on, but you kind of have a sense that something's not right. One of the reasons for this is winter reveals our insecurities. When things are good, we look confident. We've got things figured out. 
But when things get difficult, there's conflict. And we're not the best at conflict, are we? Conflict has a tendency to reveal our insecurities, and we don't like conflict because conflict reveals to us that we don't have a tendency to deal with difficult things in healthy manners. Maybe we grew up in a home that was copacetic. Everything was fine all the time until something went wrong, and then it was 100 miles an hour straight up. Everything got red for 20 minutes. Everybody's like, just let them calm down, and then after a couple things were broken, things calmed down and you move forward, and now that you're in a marriage of your own, you know what you've been taught, but you've inherited a behavior that's not healthy. And as a result, you avoid conflict because in your mind, the only thing you've ever seen as a result of conflict is explosive behavior. And you don't want explosive behavior, so you avoid the conflict. But as a result of avoiding the conflict, you've compounded the problem. Now, not only are you avoiding the problem, but you've allowed time to create a festering environment in this winter of a marriage because you wouldn't have a hard conversation. Get this, marriages that experience a winter with perseverance and patience always end up being the marriages that can withstand virtually anything that life throws at them. When you see a married couple of 20, 25, 30 years, etc., you know they got there because they've been through some stuff. Amen? I've seen some stuff. I've said some stuff. We've been unkind to each other. We've had to forgive each other. We've had little money. We've needed that extra check or that second job. We've had some money in the bank. We've had some health scares. We've got blessings. You've seen some things in 15 years, man. And the assumption is when you see an older couple or a couple that has been through things, you know that they have been victorious in winters that they've persevered, that they have been patient. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying to take your marriage through Arctic emotions so that you can grow. I wouldn't, I'm not inviting you to be like, here, I want to find some hardship. Praise Jesus. What I'm saying is instead is this. In God's wisdom and in God's providence, he will allow difficulties to press up against your marriage, to test you, to grow you, to mature you, because nobody ever grew sunbathing. That's a different season. Oftentimes, the challenges that we experience in our own lives reveal to us the shortcomings in our faith and the shortcomings in our character. Everybody's amazing on their wedding day. But being married is a completely different game. When this happens, we start to learn something. When the world outside is cold and we have persevered and been patient as a couple through a season of winter and we experience the fact that the world outside is cold and the world outside is cruel and the world outside is uncaring, when you have been through it together, then your marriage and the intimacy of your marriage provides the warmth that makes everything else irrelevant doesn't matter what's happening outside in the world if your marriage is good. You'll be able to withstand the weather. But if the weather outside your marriage is amazing and the season 
of your marriage is winter, nothing will be right. It is never a bad season to focus on your marriage. It is never the wrong time to put your spouse first. But winter isn't the only season in marriage. There's also spring. It's the second season I want to talk about. Don't start talking, Charlie. Spring is an interesting season. The sun's beginning to shine. The cold is starting to dissipate and make way for things that are warmer. Let's talk about what spring looks and feels like. Spring looks like planning. It looks like communication. It looks like openness to help and involvement from others. And remember, we're coming out of a very brittle time. So although the sun is beginning to shine and we're starting to experience some warmth, there's also tenderness during the time of spring. What's it feel like? I think it feels like excitement. It feels like anticipation. It feels like hope. The climate of this season, the season of spring in your marriage, in this relationship is awesome. Not in the sense that things are great, by the way. It's not awesome in the sense that your marriage is where it want, you want it to be, but it is awesome in the sense that the husband and the wife are learning together in a sort of unspoken sense that they just made it through winter together. It's almost understood, even though it isn't communicated. And it's understood to such an extent that suddenly they're shoulder to shoulder again, facing goals together, encouraging each other, and acknowledging that the future has possibility again. But to move forward with those ideas, there must be something that didn't exist before in the winter that must exist here in spring if it's going to progress. There must be something that had it existed before, we could even say winter would not have come. Say amen if you're listening. There must be work. There must be work. Spring is a time for work. Things are beginning to brighten up, and work is going to be required. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 4 says, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will look for a harvest, but he will have nothing. You want to reap something? You got to sow. You want to have a reward? You got to plant. You want to have something a few months from now that you can enjoy? Start working when? Now. Now is the time. This is the season. It is always the present time is always the right time to work on your marriage. Don't put it off. I'm going to give you a couple of descriptors. Number one, spring marriages are energetic. 
And they're not necessarily energetic because the spouses feel amazing. They're energetic because they have anticipation again. They have hope. Hope does not necessarily mean everything is great, but it gives you a sense of a reality that doesn't exist but could. Are you willing to work for that in your marriage? That's spring. Oh, I see things aren't what they are or what I want them to be, but I do see what they could be. There's energy because there's hope. Whereas the dejection before made us lazy and despondent and disinterested, now we're energized to do something. But secondly, spring marriages are dirty. And, and, and I don't mean don't go running off with your mind like that. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, if you're going to work in spring, it's going to be messy. Amen? You're going to read some books you don't understand. You're going to listen to some conferences that are going to challenge your emotions and your spiritual state. You're going to go through some counseling that you're going to leave and go, I want to kill you, but I'm going to wait. Because going through this season is hopeful, there's anticipation, there's excitement, but it's a little messy. It's a little messy to work on your marriage sometimes. Wendell Berry, an American author and farmer in Kentucky who passed away a few years ago, is an author that I enjoy. He wrote this. Good work is not just the maintenance of connections. As one is now said to work for a living or to support a family. But instead, it's the enactment of the connections. Listen to this. This is good. It is living and a way of living. It's not the support for a family in the sense of an exterior brace or a prop, but is one of the forms and acts of love. I'm going to break this down for you. I think what Wendell Berry is saying is simpler than we realize. And I think what he's saying is this. We don't work for a healthy and strong marriage. Work is part and parcel of a healthy and strong marriage. Did you get that? We don't, we don't stay married, and then when our marriage starts to get wobbly, we go, ah, we're going to have to start working on our marriage. No, you're late. Work is part of the marriage. It's not something you do when your marriage is faltering. It's faltering because you've neglected an important ingredient of marriage, which is work. You've got to work on yourself. You've got to work on your spouse. You've got to work on each other. You've got to work on your unity. And spring is when those things happen. Why? Because there's excitement. There's possibility again. There's joy. And those things are prized. So there's work, which is part of the season and an important part of marriage. Not something external to it, but an actual part of it. If a marriage in winter is marked by negativity, a marriage in spring is marked by optimism. If a marriage in winter is marked by sadness, 
then a marriage in spring is marked by joy. It's not as brittle as a winter marriage. It's got a little more flexibility. And that's important. Say amen if you're listening. I'll tell you why. A marriage that's under construction needs some flexibility, doesn't it? If you're going to work on each other and you're going to work on your marriage, you can't stand over each other's head with a hammer waiting for somebody to make a mistake. That's not spring marriages. That's what happens in winter. But in spring, as you're growing and your marriage is learning new things, as you're working, you've got to have some flexibility. You're learning new things. You're becoming a better husband. You're becoming a better wife. When good things are growing and exciting things are happening, other things may happen too. And while flowers are peaking and, 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 and things are starting to become promising again, weeds are never far behind. So don't get surprised when you come into a spring season in your marriage and you go, man, things are going really good, and a weed shows up. you got to have a little flexibility. Because if your optimism and your excitement and your joy about the fact that your marriage is moving forward out of winter and is in spring, if your perspective on your marriage is healthy, if your perspective on your marriage is promising, is hopeful, then those weeds won't drag you back into winter. But if you focus on the weed rather than the good things God is doing in your marriage, you will get dragged back into winter. Marriages that are in spring have great things happening but cannot put their guard down or else they could easily slide backward into winter. Next, we have summer. Next, we have summer. The summer season. Winter is cold. Spring, it's warming up. Work is getting done. And because we've been working hard, because we've been investing, because we've been planning, because we've been communicating, Summer has arrived, and we've done our work. And as a result of doing our work, as a result of investing our time, our energy, our money, and our talent into our spouse and into our marriage, summer is here. So let's talk a little bit about what summer looks like and what summer feels like. Summer looks like a time of reaping and harvesting. time of fun, a time of relaxation, but not complacency. Not compla relaxation and complacency are not the same thing. This is what it looks like. But what's summer feel like? Happiness? Feels like satisfaction? There's comfort, and of course there's connection. These are important things to look at because I don't know anyone who would say, this is what a summer marriage looks like and feels like, and follow it up with, I don't want that for my marriage. This is what every marriage aims for. But you don't get to inherit the season of summer without working through spring. 
If you do what must be done in the difficult seasons, you get to harvest. You get to relax. You get to reap the benefits of your work. Let me share a couple markers of summer. First of all, summer marriages are relaxed. Summer marriages are relaxed. There is nothing more attractive than a marriage that looks like the two people just kind of like fit. You know what I mean? You can tell they've been hugging for a long, long time. They just kind of fit into each other. Not one of these hugs. But a hug that shows you that mold has been, but they've been working on that mold. It's a relaxed feeling. Listen, receive this. A summer marriage does not have anxiety. If you're anxious about the condition of your marriage, you're not in summer. Because a summer marriage is not anxious. Anxiety is nowhere to be found. When challenges come up, it's no big deal. There's no big argument. There's no big fight. There's no words that we shouldn't say, but we do anyway because we feel entitled because, go back to winter, we're angry, and anger loves to be heard regardless of what it does in our relationship. I'm angry, therefore I have to. No, no, we're out of winter, and we've worked through spring. We're in summer. We're inheriting good things now. So when something bad happens, I go, hey, this is not good. Let's talk about this because I want to maintain this health. That's what a summer marriage does. No anxiety, no, relax, no, no um, fighting unnecessarily. It's relaxing. There's joy. There's happiness. There's warmth. Think Jimmy Buffett. Secondly, summer marriages are receptive. Summer marriages are receptive. There's no rebellion here against reaping what we've sown. Summer marriages are receptive to construction and maintenance because everything requires maintenance. Summer is a time of relaxation, sure, but marriage has to be worked on year-round, and summer is just part of that work. If you never do anything but work, and you never relax and enjoy the fruit of your labor, you're going to work yourself into misery, straight into winter. You have to unplug with your spouse and have private time, quiet time time when you're detached from all of the challenges of work or life or other relationships or friendships and even your kids. Maybe I'll just say that twice, even your kids. It is not healthy when you're always with your kids. You cannot enjoy a summer with your kids. You can invite your kids, but your kids will not produce for your marriage a summer. That's what you and your spouse do. You've got to be receptive to that. Receptive to the fact that there are some things you might need to do differently. Listen, summer flowers, for example, they can look amazing, but they need their water, don't they? It's going to rain. That's okay. We have to maintain our marriages even during good times. If we do, then we'll have an even more blessed season. Listen to this quote again, Wendell Berry. He wrote how, quote, 
A real estate agency promotes a subdivision by advertising, quote, a home life of endless vacation. But the society that is so glad to be free of the drudgery of growing and preparing food also boasts a thriving medical industry to which it is paying hundreds of dollars per person every year. And this is only the down payment. We embrace, he says, this curious freedom and pay its exorbitant cost because of our hatred of bodily labor. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you hate work, you're going to be a terrible spouse. If you hate learning, you're going to be a terrible spouse. If you're completely unreceptive and no one can tell you anything in regards to correction, you're going to be a terrible spouse. If you aren't pliable, repentant, and receptive to the things God wants you to work on in your life, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, you're going to be a terrible spouse. I'm pulling from a farmer here. But what the farmer is saying is, is the reason we are where we are as a country is because work used to be a part of our daily chores. But we don't want that anymore. We want everything to be instant, and we don't want to work for any of it. We want all great things. But somehow, at the same time, our medical bills are skyrocketing. If you don't work on your marriage, your bills in that regard will skyrocket because work is just part of a healthy relationship. Dedication requires it. It's not just to a general idea, but it's a philosophy that we find in the Bible, namely that all we should do, we should do to the excellence and glory of God. Are we loving our spouse and working on our marriage in such a way that God could say, you do that to my glory. You do that with excellence. Now, there's a lot of husbands that have their hobbies down to an excellence, but they don't love their wives with excellence. There's a lot of women that have their hobbies down to an excellence, but they don't love their husbands with excellence. And we permit each other this unacceptable level of commitment until we find ourselves in a winter of marriage. And we ask, what, what got us here? How did we get here? Listen to this. Say amen if you're listening. Mediocrity is not God's will for your life. Mediocrity is not God's will for your life. Listen to this verse, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. Now follow me here and listen to how ridiculous this is. You must be mediocre because your Father in heaven is mediocre. It doesn't jive, does it? You must be pretty okay because your Father in heaven is pretty okay. Are you, are you tracking with me here, church? 
There is only one standard that is acceptable to our Father in heaven, and it is perfection because he's perfect. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect. I'm saying that because you won't be perfect, it doesn't make it okay for you to have a standard lower than perfection. You cannot aim at mediocrity because you can't hit the target of perfection. It must be your target because God is perfect. Your marriage can always use work, commitment, and dedication, even in summer. That's why I'm beating this drum during the season of summer, because when we get to that point of enjoyment and things are amazing, oh, don't we have a tendency to start to coast? I'll get to it next week. What about date night? Ah, we'll do that next week. What about some private time? Yeah, we'll do that next week. I want to finish this show. Whatever the case might be, we have a tendency, when everything's okay, to start to neglect our relationship. But we can't. Why? Because mediocrity is not the will of God for our life. Instead, he wants us to have successful, flourishing, healthy marriages, and they require work, even in a season like summer. It won't happen while you aren't looking. It won't happen if you're not working. It only happens when you purposely and intentionally resolve with your thinking and your actions to make it so. Amen? With God's help and with God's blessing. And the summer season is when our commitment to having a healthy marriage with our spouse brings the greatest harvest. It's my hope and my prayer that our marriages in this church are either in spring or summer, period, the end. We're either working towards greatness or we are enjoying the greatness. But if we neglect our marriages, if we neglect our relationship with Jesus, then we will go from summer to fall. And that's the last season we're going to look at this morning. Finally, we have fall. Fall is a time that begins to move away from summer and toward winter. It isn't winter, but it starts showing signs of winter. It's telling you that it's coming. So what can we expect? What's it look like? What's it feel like? Well, it looks like neglect. It looks like avoidance. It looks like procrastination. What's it feel like? Oh, the anxiety is back again. Feels like anxiety. Feels like concern. You weren't worried before, now you're getting worried. Fear. Now that anxiety and concern, our fear and fear is there because neglect is in the picture, we start to have some dissatisfaction and some discouragement. Listen, this can happen in any season of marriage, but if the summer isn't maintained and cared for, if work starts to gain our attention, for example, and our marriage partner becomes neglected, if our physical life, for example, is overlooked and we can't meet the needs of our spouse, 
If we put away our spiritual life and neglect our faith in Christ and our Christianity begins to weaken, if any of these things start to happen, then there's probably a fall season around the corner. In a marriage, maybe there's more fighting than there used to be. Maybe we aren't as intimate as we were a few months ago. Maybe we don't talk as much like we do or were. And maybe the times that we do talk, we're short with each other and we're biting. And we answer, but it's with attitude and sarcasm. You know, some people think that's their spiritual gift, sarcasm. I've read the Bible. It's not in there. But there's always hope, church. There's always hope, and we have choices to make as husbands and as wives. And we can choose to allow the effects of our inactivity to lead our marriage into seasons like fall and winter, or we can read the signs, and we can make the adjustments that are required to get our marriages back in spring and summer. Now, I want to talk to you about time. Because we have tendencies, don't we? To consider seasons in you know, three to four months. This is seasons. Just go through the year, three to four seasons. But your marriage can go through a lot of seasons in a week. You can be having an outstanding week. Things are going well. Five days, intimacy, wonderful. Conversations, great. Private time, holding hands while you're watching TV. There's communication, there's connection there, awesome. And something happens, and instead of dealing with it together, you take it out on each other, and suddenly you go from summer to winter like that fast. There's something in Christianity that God built into our faith, and it's called repentance. To repent means to say, hey, I was wrong. And I'm sorry about that. It's on me. And to those of you who are hearing this repentant conversation, there's something that God built into Christianity, something that he's given to us. It's called forgiveness. And it goes like this, I receive it, and I forgive you. Not, I'm not ready yet. Maybe tomorrow. Well, because, you know, your spouse gives you, like, they're vulnerable, man. They're vulnerable. They come to you, they're vulnerable. They go, look, I'm sorry, babe. That's, I, you know what? I shouldn't have said what I said. I lost my temper. I was frustrated about the other thing. This happened that I just blew up. It's not your, it's not your fault. It's mine. I'm sorry. God requires that we say and extend forgiveness. You know what the word forgiveness means? The word forgiveness literally means to release someone. If if you're harboring unforgiveness, it means you will not release that person from the debt. It means you will not release that person from the wrong. But when they seek forgiveness, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, he says that we should be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. Now, I'm going to confess to you that I'm a lot better at forgiving than Dimeus. 
Do not make my wife mad. She will kill you in her mind. It's kind of true, right? I'm really saying it like a joke, but it seems appropriate. Yeah. God has made both me and Daimi to be, you know, very high Ds, very strong alphas. And what that means is if we love you, we're going to love you. But if you do us wrong, we'll kill you. Now, I say this, and we laugh together, but I'm being, I'm being vulnerable here. I'm, I'm being serious. This is something that God is still, to this day, working on us. Right, babe? We've seen winter. We've seen spring. And we've seen fall. But I can tell you that my marriage, my marriage is in a summer right now. It's just amazing. We worked hard for this summer. There are a lot of things that come against a family that loves Jesus and causes that family to question its love for Jesus and each other. And if the enemy can get in your house, you will lose. But that doesn't mean that even if he can't get in your house, he's not going to be running around the house causing havoc. My wife and I, we've seen winter, man. We've said things to each other we've had to repent about. We've done things to each other that we've had to request forgiveness for. But it's because we didn't let go of the covenant that today we have a summer in our marriage. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have bad days or tough weeks. But it does mean that if we work on our season right now, if we work in this season, then when we have those days or we have those weeks, it is up to us what kind of season we enjoy. I'm not blaming her parents or my parents or our kids or our jobs or this person or that person. You know whose responsibility our marriage is? It's our responsibility. And we've been through that, guys. We've been through, oh, you're not doing this, or if you did that, or oh, that person over there. That. Oh, we've been through that. You've been through that. We've all been through this. But the reality, of the, marriage, the reality of the matter is our marriage will only ever be as strong as we decide we want it to be. 